there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. Guys, I'm so glad to be with you. I like that you you picked like April (laughs) with Chris. That means that I didn't give her a topic before uh, it was time. So, Um, but yes, I'm so excited. We get to hang out. And is anybody familiar with the Luke 15 text, the the story or the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son? So I love familiar texts that may have been used. You know, this is one of those that's also used outside of faith settings, you know, that Um, other organizations or traditions have co-opted this story because it's got its own, I mean, it speaks, it preaches, there's really not a lot that has to be added. But if we're familiar with the text in the Bible, it means that, you know, we have some semblance of understanding maybe of the horizon so we can go a little bit deeper, which is super exciting. So we're just going to like mermaid through this and (laughs) and see what we can find. This is, this is the... the mermaid moves that Chad taught me earlier. Um, (laughs) And so, but yeah, so uh, we're going to spend three weeks looking at this text unless things change. But uh, because there's so many different aspects to it. But today we'll kind of give the overview. And every time we're going to take a concept or a doctrine, an understanding of who God is, and look at that concept, whether it's God's love or repentance or identity through this text to see what we can learn. So parables, we know that this is the common practice of Jesus as far as teaching. So it's really funny that we have seen religion or faith communities as a list of rules when the whole way that Jesus taught was through story. And so very uh, different maybe than, okay, this is the list of rules to belong to this organization or you need to sign this. And, and Jesus never uses anything that looks like that. So story, and we're learning this too, is the most incredible way to communicate any lesson. You know, if we want to give information, then we have different options. You know, there's different types of learning, but story seems to be the most effective for long term, which before things were written down is how ancient cultures then passed on their tradition, right? Stories. In fact, if I were to ask, I'm sure you have a story about your great, great, great grandfather. What you need to know is that my great, great, great uncle Uh, apparently chased the Dalton gang. But before that happened, he also shot the sheriff in the butt and um, was a raging alcoholic. And so just went around and anyway, so I have a story. (laughs) I don't think it's written down. I don't even know how true it is, but this is a part of the history that I have inherited from my grandparents. And so the way in which I continue to keep that alive is by telling other people. So the <laughs> efficacy of Jesus and using parables is, is such a gift to us. We can know that there is so much that Jesus is communicating through each parable. Of course, the temptation is when we read a parable, we always want to put ourselves or other people into the place, you know. And so I would love for us to just step back and allow this story to speak to us in whatever way it does. The incredible part, I believe, is that it's going to speak to not only us as individuals, 
and a community, but every single week that we will meet a new aspect of God or understand a new part of ourselves or embrace a new angle of uh, purpose and love. And so you all have, so since you have this, I would love to, for us to look at the same version. So I'm going to read mine from the bulletin, if you'll read along with me. So Jesus continued. Okay, that means we have to go back. So... (laughs) If Jesus continued, that's one of the, you ever see like a verse on the back of a t-shirt and you're like, maybe that's out of context, you know? Of course, if you were to put the whole book of the Bible on the back of the t-shirt, that's like a sandwich board that just keeps going. Um, But it's really important if we're going to talk about a text to know what comes before and sometimes what comes after. So Jesus continued, or as my text says, and Jesus said. All right, so at at the beginning of 15... Jesus is speaking about things that are lost, very specifically. So there's three stories. The lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then ours, the lost son or the prodigal son. But 15 verse 1 sets it up. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders were complaining and talking about him, saying, this man receives sinners, spends time with them, and eats with them. So Jesus is with the tax collectors. We know anything about tax collectors in this time? They're kind of, I can't think of a polite way to say it. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the worst. You know, you're like, um, you know, if you're like to throw some serious shade on someone, you're like, you're such a tax collector. And he was like, oh, don't say that. You know? Yes, because this is someone who is Jewish, who is also exploiting and taking from their own people in order to serve the Roman Empire. So as much as you can do something that's not Jewish, like that's what the tax collectors are doing, okay? So you think about the people that you would never want to spend time with, the people that we all judge this person. You know how there's, there's some people, we're all divided politically or everybody has their opinions, but we're like, we can all agree that that person's the worst, right? And everyone's like, yeah. So that's the tax collectors. So then Jesus comes in and he's eating with these people, which of course is the biggest form of communion. So anytime you're sharing a meal, that's the epitome of fellowship, all right? I'm not seeing you in the grocery store. I'm actually planning eating with you, sharing life with you. That was the representation of what it meant to be in community with people. And so the scribes and religious leaders and Pharisees are standing on the side and they're like, did you see that Jesus is hanging out with the worst. And so obviously this is some shade on his character, right? And so Jesus is like, let me explain something to you. And so the next three stories explain what's happening here. Now, anytime we say explain, we don't mean an information sharing as much as a, here's another perspective on what's happening. So real quickly, the parable of the lost sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if you've lost one, doesn't leave the 99 and go after the one. And then, when they found the one, lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. Not only that, but comes home, calls all the neighbors and family to rejoice, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Is it true that the scribes, Pharisees, needed no repentance? No, but it was their perception, right? So Jesus is speaking to their, recep- their perception, not, you know, you guys are good, so we just want the ones who are bad. But you don't, 
really understand that you're in the same category as the people that you're judging. You know, like you see an apple, and it's like that apple over there is so ugly, and you're like, you're the same apple, okay? Um, so Jesus is trying to show that the, uh, this perception is wrong because even if these people are sinners in the way the scribes think they are, they're still so valuable that it's worth looking until the sheep is found. Same thing with the lost corn. What woman, having ten coins, if she loses one of her silver coins, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? Not look for a couple hours. Does anybody have a child who you're like, hey, go find your shoes? And they go in, and they're like, I couldn't find it. And you're like, that was 0.5 seconds, you know? Right? Every day. It's a shoe. Like, it's not like it, I'm asking you to find the earring back, okay? It's a shoe. <laughs> looks until they, it looks until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found what was lost. So there's this pattern then. The thing that was lost wasn't everything. It was valuable, but there was still some, you know, you have 99, all right? Why don't we just cut our losses and call it good? We have nine silver coins. So, you know, we missed one. That's okay. But instead, it's this diligence. It's this persistence. It's this never, ever stopping going after what is lost. And not only that, not only does the woman rejoice or the shepherd rejoice, but it's an invitation then. We are all, can we all not celebrate that which is found? That helps us understand, one, what repentance is, two, the heart of God, and three, what it means to follow Jesus right? So, and <laughs> Jesus continued. It's where we pick up. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate or inheritance. So, the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. That's a nice way to say it. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So I wanted to think, oh yeah, this is just cultural, how, how rude and offensive it is if I come to you and I'm like, hey... I don't want to wait till you're dead, so can you just give me what you were going to give me when you die? And I was like, that's so offensive in that culture. And I'm like, no, that's offensive in our culture. I, mean, <laughs> I can't imagine being like, hey, Dad, so listen, I don't want to wait until you kick out. Can you just go ahead and bust out that will and let's get it over with? You know, I want to spend your money now, or I want whatever's coming to me. It's, it's a very entitled way. It's very disrespectful. And... The, the thing about this, though, in this culture is that it also communicates, like, you're dead to me, right? There's, there's something about you being alive that's really not as important as me having what I want. And so it's disconnecting from the family. So not only did he ask for what he believed he had a right to in a way that was so disruptive to his relationship with his father, but then he disconnects himself from his father and the family by leaving. And he goes to a distant country, 
unnamed distant country. So he's not only physically disconnecting from his family in this country, but also emotionally from his family and his father, right? So then he goes, and wild living would be kind of the, uh, the PG version of that, you know. It, it would have different language if we were specific. And spent everything, and then there was a famine. So he has nothing. All of a sudden, he's in a, a different place. He's disconnected from who he really is. He's also disconnected from his family. And he starts working as a slave to a foreigner and feeding the pigs, wishing that he was one of those pigs that got to be fed. What do we know about um, pigs as far as Jewish culture? The worst, yes. So we have the worst humans <laughs> and then the worst animals, okay? They're gross. We don't, you know, there's, there's no eating pork at Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's a very firm rule. So, you know, when, when the Jews in the Roman Empire celebrated Thanksgiving, they didn't have pork. <laughs> There was no bacon the morning after Thanksgiving. Um, and, and so you can see all over, if the Pharisees and scribes are hearing this story, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, Not only has this son disrespected his father, he's gone to a foreign country, so they're very much about not being in a foreign place, belonging to your identity, established identity, and then you're working as a slave feeding pigs, which are also the worst. And then he wants to be fed by with, with the, what those pigs are eating. But no one gave him anything. So he came from a place of abundance, and he's in a place where he has nothing, and no one's giving him anything. So when he came to his senses, or I like the English standard says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So can you imagine him? He's like making this speech. He's like standing in front of the mirror. He's like, okay, so here's what I'm going to say. All right. So I'm going to say, hey, dad, I really messed up. You know, he's, he's written out the speech and he's like, I think you're the best and you're handsome. He's like, okay, I won't say that. But I will say, you know, he's like, what I'll do, I can't go back without some kind of, you know, offering myself in some way. Like, I am not worthy to be anything but your servant, and so I'm going to come back as that. So he's been practicing his speech all the way, and I can't even imagine what he's thinking. He's like, I really hope this goes well, because now I've left the pigs, and, you know, what do I have? Nothing. So he goes in to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I can't, I, want, I can't wait to hear what sticks out to you guys about that particular. But So he went to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him. Now you think about a long road, right? If you were in a house or some kind of field setting, I think it would be really, really hard to see someone if they're a long way off. It's almost as if the father was looking, right? You don't see someone a long way off down the road unless you're actively looking. And then you see a speck. And what it makes me think is that 
It wasn't the first time that the father was out looking. In the same way that the woman swept and swept and diligently lit a lamp, did whatever she could. Lighting a lamp makes me think she was also, you know, doing the 24-hour look, right? She's not going to give up. In the same way, the father is going out, not just waiting for this son, if he ever comes back, where he's like, hope you've learned your lesson, you know. Which I think we would be like, well, that makes sense. You know, you can't just, like, let him back in. And instead, it's not only I'm waiting, but then the father does this very undignified thing. What does he do? Yeah, he runs to him. He's filled with compassion for him. He runs to him. He throws his arm around him and he kisses him. It's important to note that the filled with compassion is what motivates the embrace, is what motivates this going to him. That it's not out of obligation or guilt or that's just what the father does. It's a response to the compassion, to seeing the son through the eyes of compassion through the eyes of love, through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of forgiveness. So the, the son, he's been practicing his speech, right? He's like, I've sinned against heaven you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be your servant. So he starts a speech, and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he's like, let me stop you right there. He doesn't get to finish his speech. He doesn't get to suggest his plan. He doesn't get to say, but this is how we're going to make it okay. This is how I'm going to pay you back. This is how we're going to reestablish our relationship. The father interrupts him and calls the servants and says, we are going to celebrate. We're getting the family together. We're getting the neighbor together. We're, you know, we've been saving this fattened calf for when the Queen of England comes, but let's just go ahead because this is more important than anybody else who could come. The Queen of England was coming for Thanksgiving. But <laughs> she missed it, all those colonials. <laughs> Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. So what do you think sandals on his feet implies what? Yeah, yeah right? I mean, he comes home. He's like raggedy. He probably did eat some of those pods. You know. You know how you get when you're hungry. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. And everything is so over the top. You know, here's a tunic, son. Go take a bath, right? And it's like, no, we've got this robe. We're talking about the father's ring. We're talking about this, this signet ring. What does the ring symbolize? You're mine. It's a symbol of identity. It's a symbol of belonging. It's, it's saying that I choose you. That this isn't just something that you picked up on the street. It's not from the quarter machine. It is a gift of value and importance. He interrupts his speech because why? We're not allowed to come to the Father as servant. We're children. You don't get to come as hired servant. You don't get to come as, as slave or one who earns. You come as one who's loved. So the terms that the younger son had established, if this is how I'm going to go back, the father would not accept those terms. You, you don't come on your terms. Here are the terms. You allow yourself to be loved. Which I think is pretty uncomfortable. Can you imagine standing there? You know, I, 
I think I've heard this preached where, oh, and you know, he was so happy to be home. And I'm thinking how he's feeling. He's like, please don't put that robe on me. No, no, don't. I don't, I don't deserve, this is so awkward. Please don't kill a fattened calf, you know. I mean, having to stand there and let yourself be loved when you know you acted very hatefully, that you left your family, that you took from your family, that you said you're dead to me, that you disconnected, that you did everything that would be harmful to your father. And then instead of having to do penance, you're loved on and celebrated. I don't know, if it doesn't make you a little uncomfy, then good for you. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that kind of grace? where you know the principal should call you into her office, where you know your dad should tell your mom, where where somehow you don't get what you deserve, you know. Compassion is not something we can earn. So when whenever we're tempted to say, I don't deserve compassion, duh, you can't deserve compassion. It's not something, it's not something, it's, it's, it's diametrically opposed to earning. It is something that the giver of compassion chooses to do. That it's the giver's call to extend that kind of grace and that kind of forgiveness. And real Jesus forgiveness, it's very serious and can be very uncomfortable. And this is very upsetting to the other son, right? The son who is older, who has probably been like, good, I'm glad he's gone. I don't even care. I don't even remember his name. And so we read about the, young, the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, so he's not in the house. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So now we know why there's this celebrating. Because he's back. Because he is home. Because he's where he belongs. Because he is reconnected to who he really is, right? And I don't know. Maybe the servant was like, yay, we're having a party. Or maybe he was like, you're not going to like this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He didn't probably have many friends. But (laughs) when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, so we're learning a little bit what wild living meant, When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father says, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, when we talk about putting ourselves in the story, I mean, it's very easy for me to to see myself as the younger son. 
I probably spent most of my life there. But then I'm like, oh, snap, I'm also the older son a lot. This idea that it's not really fair how the system works. Notice that both brothers were outside of the house, right? One went away and actively disconnected, and the older son was disconnected by placing himself in the position of servant. Never says that that was expected of him, and yet that's how he identifies himself. He says, I'm the one who has been your servant all these years, which ironically is what the father rejected from the younger son and what he wanted on his terms. And yet the father goes out to the younger son, and then the father goes out to the older son. It's not just the younger son who the father seeks to find and bring home. It's the older son as well. He stands off. He gets a little close to the house. He hears what's going down, but he doesn't go in. He's not going to be a part of that because he has ideas of what it means to be in relationship to the father and his inheritance in the same way that the younger son does. And they're both wrong. You don't get to come home on your terms. You come home as one who's loved. That's how it is. And there's not degrees. There's not, well, you know, you're loved because God loves everybody, but you're not as loved because you're not following these rules, you know, because you're not doing it like everybody else. There's none of that. There is the... the, love of God that's available to everybody. And what prodigal means, does anybody know what prodigal means? I always thought it meant lost, like the others. You know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, you know. But prodigal is actually wasteful, extravagant, lavish. I don't know, I kind of think the father is the prodigal father. <laughs> this extravagant, giving, lavish. I mean, over-the-top love. Some would say wasteful. Some would say that God's love is wasted on a whole lot of people on this planet. My friend has a shirt that says, God loves people you don't. That's true. I think if we were to really see the love of God, if somehow we could put on glasses and see, we would be very uncomfortable. (laughs) I think the love of God is so much bigger than we could understand that the people we think might be in or out, and and all of a sudden we see that this is about a father, this is about um, a God, a creator who's so compassionate and is waiting and looks for us and never, ever stops. This is about the persistence of a God who is for you, who goes out. The older son, does he deserve for the father to go out? He can just have a pity party. He can just wallow in it, okay? And you know, the younger son, he can just get his act together and then come home, right? But there's no waiting until you get it together. It's no waiting until you understand. It's going out to bring you back in where you belong. I don't know if the older son ever goes back. I don't know if he ever goes home. We don't know that. We're not given that part of the story, right? We're not told 
what happens? The older son says, but when this son of yours. So he's not willing to call him brother, right? When this son of yours. He's like, so you. Look, I have obeyed you. I have served you. He doesn't refer to his dad as father, but, but as slave master, right? And he doesn't refer to his brother as brother, but as the son of his slave master, okay? I mean, you, you, total disconnect. And so there's terms in which we want to or feel like we deserve or think we should come to God, and you can only come home as, as child. And you can only come home as loved child. And then take it a step further, you can only come home as celebrated, loved child to a divine love that never, ever, 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 ever stops pursuing you. Isn't that crazy? We might identify ourselves as the father. We might identify at times as the son who squanders and runs away, or the older son who's convinced that we must earn spiritual favor. But we're all called to be the father who goes out. I, when I was driving here today, really, you know, just felt like God was telling me that I am the younger son in a lot of ways and and things that I've experienced. and, And I really, really want to convince the older sons of the world that I'm loved and forgiven. And instead of just being celebrated, I want other people to see because I feel like as long as other people don't shame me, then I don't have to live in that shame. And instead of convincing other people that we are forgiven and loved, maybe just go in and be celebrated. You know, I cannot control the perceptions of other people. There are people who think I'm just a hot mess and not worth it. Um, and I don't say that as, as a pastor who kind of says that like we all, but legitimately, right? I mean, there, there are people who, they're, um, but I can't wait for other people to see God's perspective on me for me to live in it. I can't wait for other people to agree with God's love for me or compassion in order for me to experience it. And that's what's hard, and that's what it means to be loved. That's what it means to stand there. I can't even wait for my own self to agree that I am loved. I I just have to take it. It doesn't matter what your opinion is of yourself or other people. You are loved. I mean, you can be like, no, that doesn't really change it. Right? Everybody's like, well, this guy's not blue. I don't really think this guy cares what color you think it is. God is never going to stop. And the best thing that we can do then is allow ourselves to be cared about in light of that reality, right? If I'm waiting for other people to agree with God's heart, then I'm missing what it means to be daughter, what it means to be child, right? What it means to be the loved one. 
but it's only as I experience being the loved one that I can go out and be the father and mother who welcomes home. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.